You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. It's my privilege to just have this time here with you this morning in God's Word. We've been in Hebrews chapter 11 for the summertime. Uh, to learn about the great cloud of witnesses, stories of faith from the Old Testament, and so far it has been time well spent. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's been good to be encouraged and to learn about what uh, the Lord is growing in us as we look at these truly heroes of of the faith from the Old Testament. And I want to pick up this morning from last week because I feel like it's a continuation of what Pastor Brad was teaching us in 11 verses 17 to 19, where we saw uh, the faith of Abraham on display as he was willing to offer his promised son Isaac as a sacrifice to God out of obedience to God. And I loved how Brad challenged us to see this story as Abraham's faith lying down his personal identity. You see, he was lying down everything that he was supposed to be the father of many nations, God asked him if even that he would lay down in obedience to him. And the answer from Abraham was yes. And so Isaac, his son, represented Abraham's identity, his sense of self, how he understood God's plan to work out. And God said, will you lay that down? Abraham said yes. He laid his identity down and placed his faith in God alone. And for us, those who follow Jesus, we likewise lay down our own expressions of self, our own sense of identity, because everything else that we, all all the other versions of ourself that we know, maybe we've created or that have been placed upon us, now fall under this new identity as a child of God. It's God who makes us who we are. So I bring up last week because this is the first step once we've received this identity and we begin to operate within it. Today we're going to see how that's the beginning, but our faith does not stop there with just us. It actually reaches beyond ourselves to bless others, all right? So I'll be reading uh, just in the next couple of verses in Hebrews 11, verses 20 to 22. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to read from there. Hebrews eleven twenty to 22. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. This is God's word for us this morning. And so this is the family of Abraham continued through Isaac. Because the good news about last week's story, of course, is that Isaac did not die. God provided a way for Isaac to be saved. There was a sacrifice of a ram instead. And so Isaac lived, and he had two badly behaved sons, Jacob and Esau. And if you're curious about what that means, uh, you can read about Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25 to 27. And then there's Jacob or Israel, as God later names him. That's Isaac's one son, and Jacob has 13 sons, and you can read the story of Jacob in Genesis 28 to 35. And then there's Joseph, one of the 13 sons of Jacob, and he was Jacob's favorite. The story of Joseph is found in Genesis 37 to 46. 
In the last few chapters of Genesis, we see how Jacob is old, and so he blesses his sons, and he gives that special blessings to his favorite son's sons, his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. This happens in Genesis 48. And then in Genesis 50 is the part about Joseph saying, listen, there's going to be an exodus, but when you do it, bring my bones with you because I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want to be buried in the promised land. Whew. Okay, so Hebrews 11, 20 to 22 is literally a summary of half of the book of Genesis, Genesis 25 to 50, um, an incredibly important part of God's word. The beginning of the story of God's family is all in there. But for us this morning, the awesome thing that we get to see is what God has done through the faith of Abraham. He takes the faith of one man and his wife, of course, Abraham and Sarai, and he uses that to transform the lives of the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that and the generation after that. And that's just the beginning of the Old Testament. It carries forward to Jesus and beyond. So it isn't just that Abraham was an individual example of faith, as great as that would be, right? But the faith of Abraham was actually passed on to his son Isaac, who also passed it on to Jacob and Esau, and then to the 12 slash 13 sons of Jacob who became the, the 12 nations of Israel, and then on to their sons as well. So there's 25 chapters of Genesis. We're just going to read a few verses from there to see what this is all about, some of the specific references. Uh, first, we'll read Genesis 27, 28 to 29. This blessing from Isaac to his son Jacob. He says, may God give you, give to you from the dew of the sky, and from the richness of the land, an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow in homage to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow in homage to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. And this is how Jacob passes on the blessing to his sons and grandsons later in verses 13 to 16. Sometime after this, Joseph was told, your father is weaker. So he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and he sat up in bed. That's the same thing I have to do every morning, summon my strength to sit up. Except, <laughs> uh, but uh, Jacob is much, much older. Uh, he summons his strength and sits up, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make, you many nation I will make many nations come from you, and I will give you this land as a permanent possession to your future descendants. So here he's referring to God's faithfulness in the past to his sons, and then we'll jump ahead to verse 13 to 16. Then Joseph took them both with his right hand on Ephraim towards Israel's left and with his left hand on Manasseh towards Israel's right, and he brought them to Israel, or Jacob. Uh, but Israel stretched out his hand and put it on the head of Ephraim, the younger, and crossing his hands, he put his left on Manasseh's head, although Manasseh was the firstborn, and then he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all harm 
May he bless these boys, and may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. Wow. So as I read this this week and prayed, I was tearing up because it's such an intimate and, and beautiful emotional blessing from this faithful father to his son and his grandsons. And I believe that each of us longs to hear this blessing like Jacob blesses his children, don't we? And so uh, with that longing, some of us have heard that and other of us have not. And so for those who hear that and think, wow, uh, I wish, you know, in this lifetime that I had a father to bless me or, or maybe you didn't experience any words of blessing or, or whatever, we all have a mixture of experiences with parents and none of them are perfect, but some are, are certainly far less than others. There's pain and suffering there. I want to speak to that because I think that that is a part of our response as we hear the blessing from a father like Abraham or uh, uh, Jacob to his sons. There's an importance there. But whatever we've experienced, the truth is that God is the father with the power to bless his children. And in fact, even these fathers blessing their children, it's not so much that them as humans are passing on the blessing, but it's all about God and his power at work in their life. And that's the same power available to each of us, the same love that is for you and for me, regardless of where we've been in our past. God will rewrite our destinies and our stories according to the power of his grace and love in our lives. And so that's what we put our faith in today, not in our earthly parents and their ability to bless or the lack thereof, okay? Um, so just briefly to this, Psalm 68 says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and celebrate before him. God in his holy dwelling is a father to the fatherless and a champion of widows. Ephesians 2 as well says that we were far uh, without Christ. We were excluded from the citizenship. We were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. We were without hope and without God in the world before Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. It's Jesus that is our peace. So yes, God is very much in the business of bringing us who are hurting, those who feel abandoned, we're wandering to, back to him to renew our hope, right? The Lord can and does heal even the most broken hearts as he draws us near to him because he is our perfect father. And if you do read the second half of Genesis, you'll get the details about Abraham's family and how absolutely imperfect and messed up their family was, probably even more messed up than yours. Um, but God in his goodness works through them. Right? Not through their perfection, but in their faithfulness to him and his faithfulness to them. And that's what's shared between generations as a blessing. So the point I want us to consider, all of us to consider today, is that our faith is not just for our sake, my sake, but it is for the sake of others. My faith is not just for me and my blessing, but it's for the sake of the next generation and for their blessing. 
It's not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of those who God has placed in your life. And how this plays out, how this is important, is there's, there's a lot of ways. But in the most basic level, it's important because I hate to break this to you, but your life on earth is temporary. Do you know that? Your life on earth is temporary. If you don't, this is a, a big news. <laughs> uh, you've got a limited amount of time, and it's getting shorter with each passing second. There's no way to avoid this. This is the natural progression, and it's actually good for us to remember occasionally that we are going to die, because that's what this passage in Hebrews is referring to. Each of these men is at the end of their life. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph at various points were at the end of their life, in the face of death, and they realized that there was something important to do, something beyond themselves. And so, having said this, the question for us is, how do we, as a people of faith today, deal with the reality of our time on earth being temporary? Because on the one hand, when we think about this, I think there's a temptation to, to uh, kind of get busy with enjoying as much out of life as we can, to live for today because the clock is ticking, uh, carpe diem, YOLO, etc., right? Seize the day. That's actually not bad advice. Like, like live today as if it's your last. But I would say that in in that strain of thinking, don't take it in a, in a way where you go towards self-actualization and a pursuit of happiness and pleasure just to enjoy as much as you can. But as people of faith, instead we should realize that we have a limited amount of time to invest in the eternally important things that God invites us into. We, ha we do have a limited amount of time, so what eternal things are we sowing into Because here is the implication from what we're reading in Hebrews. While we are blessed to have this life, we have been given the power and ability to transfer the blessing of faith to carry it forward. So it doesn't end with us, but it carries forward. We each have opportunities to impact the generations to come by sharing our faith. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. What would it look like if we were intentional about taking the opportunities we have instead of letting them pass us by? Because we have to realize that the temptation for selfishness is just as real for Christian people as it is for not, right? Unfortunately, Christian selfishness is sometimes even encouraged, right? It's, it's a possibility that we can focus too much on the personal benefits of the Christian life and, and quietly slide into a self-centeredness, a Christian version of self-centeredness where we no longer think of others to love them and to serve them and to, to spend time with them and reach out. Yes, our salvation is personal. Yes, we want to know God intimately and spend time alone with him. Of course, this is what Jesus did. But if we do follow the way of Jesus, we'll see very quickly that there's all this potential within our relationship with God that will go way beyond just ourselves. In fact, I would say that salvation from God is intended to go beyond ourselves. 
It's not supposed to stop with us. Jesus said, nobody lights a lamp and then hides it. <laughs> That's silly. We don't do that with our love of God either. So we have an opportunity. We have a responsibility, I would say, to pass faith in God on to the next generation. And to illustrate this, I'm going to be reading from different parts of Psalm 145. A Psalm of David. Verses 1 to 7 says, I exalt you, my God the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty, of your wondrous works, and they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts. And I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. So David is celebrating the salvation of God in his own words, and, and it's almost like he catches himself mid-sentence when he's promising, I'm going to do this forever. And he's like, well, wait a sec. I won't be around forever. All right, kids, listen up. God is great. You too should praise him. And then it goes back and forth. He says, I'm going to praise him, and they will praise him. The generations will praise God for all that he is, for, his one, for how wonderful he is, for his faithfulness, for his salvation. And it goes back and forth from one generation to the next. And I love this. As I thought about this, I felt, isn't this what happens when we gather on a Sunday in church? This is actually what's happening. We have older Christians telling younger ones about God's greatness in all kinds of forms. When we worship with the worship team, when we sing songs to God, our children are learning who God is and why we praise him, and it is awesome. There's nothing that warms my heart more than hearing my kids when they're on their own building Lego or reading or something, you know, singing the words that we are singing on a Sunday. It's the truth, and they're learning about who God is. It's beautiful. This is what happens when we raise our voices and when we're praying together like we were. When we praise, we agree with one another and proclaim the name of God from one generation to the next, young and old. When we preach, and certainly when, when kids are downstairs with their leaders and they're learning and celebrating Jesus, this is happening from one generation to the next. And we cannot underestimate the power of this in our worship services of all types on Sundays or other times to proclaim God's goodness together. And of course, this is not just a principle for parents. If you think maybe you don't have kids and, and you're like, this isn't for me, I can check out. Well, it's actually for you too. To the older Christians in the room, younger, less mature Christians are watching you as an example of what worship means, of what following Jesus means, okay? And to the younger Christians in the room, look around you for examples of what following Jesus is all about, what a life of faith should look like. And having said that, it's my prayer, again, that our times of worship would be a proclamation between the generations as the family of God, of who God is, of his mighty acts, as David says. And just briefly, more specifically, to those who do have the responsibility to speak directly to the next generation, be it parents or family members um, or, or figures of authority, whatever it is. 
let us take the opportunity to pray and bless our kids in meaningful, specific times. Let us consider and ask the Lord how we can take responsibility and be intentional on the ways that we pass our faith on to the next generation. Let us speak the truth of who God is to our children. Let our homes be places where the goodness of God is shared and enjoyed. Let us do this by telling stories of how God has been true in the past. Let us praise him together in the moment of what he's doing in our lives and look ahead to the future like Joseph did, not with fear at the uncertainty, but with a bold hope in what God is accomplishing through his good and perfect will. These are just some of the ways. And as we do these things, as we obey God and follow the example of these fathers of faith, we will bless the next generation with a faith that touches them and shows them the glory of God and that blesses them to move forward into the kingdom long after we are gone. Praise God. This is good. And so, as we conclude, I want to return again to Psalm 145. I wanted to actually uh, pray this prayer. It's a psalm of praise. And so, as I read, I invite you to, to bow your head and to listen very closely to what David is saying. And as I read his words, to pray them to God, to proclaim them today. It says, the Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up those who are oppressed. All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near to all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. and Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen.